Hey guys, just a heads up, because of the time period in the Bible in which the story that we're going to be talking about today takes place, there are brief mentions in this conversation of marital abuse, rape, sexual assault and harassment, and alcohol abuse. If those things are activating or triggering for you, please proceed with caution. Hello and welcome to the Let It Matter podcast. I'm your host, Kelly Wolf. Here at Let It Matter, we seek to make space for and honor what matters to us as individuals, as communities, and as beloved children of God. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter 5 to cast our cares on God because God cares for us. That tells me that God cares about what we care about. In their song of the same title, the group Johnny Swim offers this invitation. If it matters let it matter. So that's what we're going to do. I invite you to join me for the next half hour as we make space, honor, celebrate, or lament, and as we name what matters. Hello, 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 and welcome. I am your host, Kelly Wolf, and I am so thankful you are joining me for this episode. I promise in a few minutes you are going to be thankful too. I had an amazing conversation a little while ago with um, one of my favorite writers and Christian thinkers, Sharifa Stevens, who joined me today to talk about an often dismissed um, or vilified woman from scripture, Queen Vashti. And we also talked more broadly about the power of a woman's no. Um, So really quick, before we get into it, if you haven't yet, please hit that subscribe or follow button wherever you get your podcasts. If you are listening in Apple, if you could leave a review for the show, it helps so much, especially for a new podcast like this, and I would be so grateful. Let me introduce Sharifa to you, and we will get right into um, the conversation Sharifa is the daughter of Jamaican immigrants, born and raised in New York, and currently residing with her family in Dallas, Texas. She graduated from Columbia University in New York with a bachelor in African American Studies before earning a master in theology from Dallas Theological Seminary. She has contributed to the book Vindicating the Vixens, Revisiting Sexualized, Vilified, and Marginalized Women of the Bible, as well as the book Rally, Communal Prayers for Lovers of Jesus and Justice. Sharifa is married to a Renaissance man and is mother to two lively boys. I came across Sharifa's work first in her chapter on Queen Vashti in the book Vindicating the Vixens. Um, And it was so revolutionary to me, the way that she saw her and the way that she... um, her interpretation of scripture, her her scholarly work around um, this woman's life and the book of Esther as a whole. Uh, I started following her on Twitter and Instagram, and she quickly became someone that I looked to regularly for leadership, for exposition of scripture, for instruction, for encouragement. Um, her writing is beautiful. She has a Substack, and I'll, I'll give you guys all the links in her show notes, uh, in our show notes, to where you can find her. Um, get ready and strap in. I know I have said previously that this would be about a half hour show, um, not this one particularly, but in generally our episodes. But I'm gonna let this one run. I'm not cutting anything. We had such a fiery conversation. My heart rate didn't slow down for two hours after um, after we finished, and it was and there was just nothing to cut, frankly. And so, um, so we won't always do this. I will usually try to keep it edited to about a thirty-minute episode, but um, but I how dare I uh, cut off this brilliant woman? And so, I bring you my conversation with Sharifa Stevens. Sharifa, my friend, welcome to the Let It Matter podcast. Thank you for having me. I am so thrilled to have you here. So I mentioned in my intro, I I gave an intro of sort of, I gave your bio and then how I came across your work, which was first in Vindicating the Vixens, um, the the chapter that you you wrote about Queen Vashti. And um, the way that you gave your readers like new eyes to see her from at least from the way that I had always, always heard her story told, which was, you know, evil queen, 
good she's out of there. Good, yeah, Esther, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and not even really that critical of the king, frankly. Um, and so, uh, so it just she was she became more than this like one dimensional character footnote in Esther's story, the way that you told about her, she became a woman, a human that lived and breathed and had experiences. And so just to sort of set up where we're going with this conversation, I want to talk about her and the story itself found in Esther chapters one and two, primarily we'll be talking about, but then I want to zoom out and talk about the power of a woman's no. Mm -hmm. Um, K N O W, but, but primarily her, no, her, her no um and so so let's set the stage if we if you can can you briefly i'm going to let you do this because you wrote so wonderfully about it can you briefly introduce to those who may not be familiar who is queen vashti where do we find her in the text um and sort of maybe summarize not the whole book of esther but the story (laughs) yes that we're talking about (laughs) we're just can you do this in one minute i'm just kidding (laughs) I, I adore brevity. So basically, um, we find Vashti in the first two chapters of the book of Esther. Esther is a part of the Old Testament um, for our uh, Christian tradition or part of the Megula for the Jewish tradition. And Vashti is the queen of Persia in the opening scenes of Esther, married to Ahasuerus, who we know in popular parlance as Xerxes. So Vashti is a woman who is first spoken of, but who never speaks in the text, um, Mm -hmm. and yet is known in this brief introduction to her and her life as a, a defiant woman, a woman who, um, says no to the king's request. And that is who Vashti is in the teeny tiniest of nutshells. So, okay. So what is, what is she saying no to? Let's, let's kind of maybe, I guess, get a little more granular. In okay. Terms let's of open it up. The context. Yeah. yeah. So let's, what's going on. What does she ask to do? Um, and I, if you can include in this also, I loved some of your just, uh, thoughts on why she might have said no um yeah which is not really in the text her reasoning obviously is not in the text but but i love some of the observations you made about her context um this is gonna be longer than a minute for sure no no i was really (laughs) kidding about the minute thing (laughs) let's get into it yeah so the author of the book of esther opens up with a scene of opulence So basically, we understand the setting of uh, what's about to take place before anyone actually speaks. So we are introduced to the king, king of Persia, whose residence was in Susa, which was a city in the Persian Empire. Um, The king was Ahasuerus. Uh, He was inviting people to experience the great wealth and opulence of Persia. And we are given a really exhaustive description of the, yes. the linens, the curtains, the catches, the, the silverware, so to speak, the bespoke goblets that would be filled to overflowing with wine. Um, the 127 provinces that Ahasuerus ruled over, just so we understand from India to Kush, what's going on. Um, It's all Ahasuerus' world. We see also uh, that he is giving such an incredible banquet that every, every man gets his own goblet and it is to be filled at their will. Uh, so there is no no uh, scarcity of uh, alcohol. Uh, right. There's no scarcity <laughs> of anything. And this is what we're supposed to get from the beginning opening chapter of, of Esther 1. This is a really rich 
and powerful person who mm-hmm. is throwing a party. That um, lasted, uh, what is it, six months, right? Yes. It looks it like it says 180 days. days. Yeah. He displayed the vast wealth of his kingdom, according to Esther 1, verse 4. Yeah. Right? So then he's given this drinking party, and on the seventh day of the drinking party, which who 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 does who right how right. I I feel for everybody's kidneys and livers and headaches. Oh my goodness! Bathroom <laughs> breaks, the vomiting, anyway, like all of it. Any any one of most of us. There are some of us who I guess haven't been as exposed to such things, mm-hmm. but. Well, excessive drinking comes with a lot of garbage. Yeah. Um, yeah. Physically as well as um, mentally and emotionally. Mm-hmm. So on the seventh day of this alcohol-laden banquet, mm-hmm. Azuaris is like, well, I've shown you all my other pretty things. Let me show you this other pretty thing that I own. Vashti. And um, so he doesn't send like a messenger with this invitation to come to the party. He sends seven eunuchs who work for him. So these are in my, in my imagination, bouncers, they are not right. small men. They are huge and imposing. He sends them to his wife, the queen, mm-hmm. um, as an invitation to come show off your royal crown and people over the ages have speculated uh on whether this meant only wearing her royal crown but even if she was fully clothed this the prospect of one woman entering into a place with there were there hundreds of drunk men Epically drunk men. Yeah. Is a um that's a that's a violent proposal. It, it is. It can't go well. Not only that, but what do you have to think of your wife to want to invite her into such an environment? Well. Not only that, but uh we have extant evidence from Plutarch um in and in his advice to brides and grooms that it was polite groom behavior for a husband to send out a wife if things were getting too debaucherous in oh. the atmosphere. <laughs> How kind. Yeah. It was, it was a mark of respect for mm-hmm. a husband to send out the wife and bring in the singing girls and the concubines at that point. <sighs> <clears throat> which look i'm 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 like not for any of that sure no protect protect women that's sure. where i hang out but <laughs> according to <laughs> according to the culture of the day yeah uh Ahasuerus was completely in the wrong and vashti was within her rights in upholding her wifely status mm. she says no to the seven big men who had come to get her. And those seven big men respect her no enough and come back and say this is what the queen has said. I like that you just included that they respect her no enough, that they're not going to use force. Um, exactly. And I, I appreciate that that note. Okay, continue. So <laughs> in response to this refusal, Ahasuerus is boiling with rage. Um, and this man who we just were introduced to because of his 127 provinces, his great wealth and his bountiful alcohol still don't know what to do with his own wife. So <laughs> he has to consult with seven more men and says, what is to be done under the law? I'm paraphrasing, mm-hmm. but basically, yeah, according to the law. What must be done to Queen Vashti? This and is. And I have to pause. Yeah, yeah, that's where we pause because here's. 
here's where we where we zoom out a little bit. Um, in fact, if I can, I'm gonna I have verses sixteen through twenty here. Um, okay, so I'm gonna just and I am not sure. Uh oh, I'm not sure which version this is from, but um, so basically. His court, these seven men that he goes to, his trusted officials and advisors, right? Go, he goes to them and he says, What should we do? She has just told me no. Um, and I may be skipping, I may be actually skipping ahead too far, but essentially, this court is so threatened. These fragile men are so threatened by her no, because let's be honest, they recognize the power of a woman's no if left unchecked. Yes, Right. And so so they're so threatened by it that then they they essentially have the king. Correct me if I'm if I'm wrong here. They essentially have the king create a law that says women cannot they have to submit. So I'm going to read exactly what they what they say here. Um, The wrong of Queen Vashti is not against the king alone, but against all the officials and all the people who are throughout all the provinces of King. uh Oh, what is it? Uh Ah, What is it? King Xerxes. Xerxes. I'm just going to say Xerxes. (laughs) Okay. King Xerxes. For the matter concerning the queen will spread to all the women, leading them to treat their husbands with contempt, saying when King Xerxes gave orders to bring Queen Vashti into his presence, she would not come. And this very day, the noble ladies of Persia and Media who have heard the matter concerning the queen will respond in the same way to all the royal officials, and there will be more than enough contempt and anger. If the king is so inclined, let a royal edict go forth from him and let it be written in all the laws of Persia and media that cannot be repealed, that Vashti may not come into the presence of King Xerxes and let the king convey her royalty to another who is more deserving than she and let the king's decision, which he will enact be disseminated throughout all the kingdom, vast though it is, like you said, from India to Kush, then all the women will give honor to their husbands from the most prominent to the lowly. Emphasis mine. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Because if they make it into a law, then surely the women will respect their husband yeah that, surely that's surely that's how respect is yeah exactly that's how it's earned. I, i'm just so when i i hadn't read this in such a long time when i was prepping for this conversation i'm just so struck by how clearly they understand that a woman saying no to the most powerful man will give every other woman the idea that autonomy and agency is within her right and that mm-hmm. she can say no rather prominent or lowly because the most powerful woman has said it to the even more most powerful man. Um, So I want to, I want to just talk about that. I want to hear kind of what you, what your thoughts are on that, but it just, Oh, the fragility. (laughs) It's, it's really, mm, it's, it's cunning as well as fragile. Um, It is. Because they decided to use an isolated incident to enact legislation that would oppress an entire population of people. Correct. Um, And they make a statement that um, in terms of women's obedience, Mm -hmm. blind obedience to men, status doesn't matter, Um, class, wealth uh ethnicity yeah doesn't matter so and it's irrevocable so it is it is a lifetime of oppression and of course me as a black american woman yes i see this through the lens of um history uh of american but not just American, also, you know, Caribbean and South American chattel slavery. Yeah. And how um, the status of a a black woman was set in stone forever and ever. Amen. And Mm. not only that, but affected anyone who came from her, anyone she birthed. Mm. There was 
such a hopelessness uh, and condemnation. And it was, it was cold, impersonal injustice that would be lasting forever. And it's just, yes. it's frightening um, that this is an example. You know, there is some absurdity in this text, in the book of, of <laughs> Esther. There's mm-hmm. some hyperbole. Um, there's some dark humor to this book, but there is also just cold, hard truth in the fact that the powerful will seek to preserve their power over seeking uh, righteous rule. Mm. And as as soon as there's an opportunity, even the queen is subject to these yeah. men. Yes. The queen becomes subject to these men and their wiles. And the the indecision and fickle nature of her own husband. Mm-hmm. The drunk, I mean, drunk and fickle nature. Drunk. It's, it's, it's not even, um, you know, we hear like stories, for example, of like King George the third, who was mad. Like, so it's, it's, it's his personality. It's not a substance uh, altering, you know, he he'll right. wake up in a couple of days and maybe sober up. This is, he's drunk, makes this decision and it is binding forever. Yeah. Now, I would I would argue that there's also a case to be made that um, alcohol will reveal the things that are all oh. in a yeah, I, yeah, I don't mean that to, in any way so, to um to to let him off the hook at all. It's it, yes, it is. Yeah, he's, he's also that little. kind of indulgence and opulence yeah. is a personality trait. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And because of historians like Herodotus, who actually, you know, hated, hated Xerxes, understandably, with a passion, we (laughs) we know that there's there's a witness to the fact that Xerxes, sober or drunk, Mm -hmm. had a problem with decision making, not listening to wise counsel heeding unwise counsel, being capricious and violent in his responses to mm-hmm. conflict. So this is this is actually like not a one-off and is very consistent with historical accounts of who Xerxes was. And so and that's the context into which we find Bashti, right? It's not it's not just um all her husband was suddenly acting out of character. Yes. And she was like, well, I'm not playing that. This was her daily lived experience as uh, a wife who, and and I correct me if I'm wrong, but sort of in this time, wives were much more of like a status symbol or a political alliance or something like that. It wasn't the necessarily the um, committed best friend companion, right? right? It's not that. Certainly in the king's court. It <laughs> it's, was, right. It was it's far horrible. more of a, um, let me show off, like you said, let me show off this other pretty thing I own. Mm-hmm. Um, something meant to, as an ornament for the king, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so I, I want to also talk, reading in your, in your chapter, where you did mention, you know, I see this through the lens of, um, of American slavery or sort of reading this and reading, not reading your experience into it, but through the lens of, um, Mm -hmm. of the arc of scripture, as well as, you know, um, the experience of a black American woman, it got me thinking about outcomes, right? And so I'm thinking about, you know, Vashti is not only well, let's hold on. Let's just let's go back. So, what what is her her outcome for her specifically in that context? She's yeah. dethroned, right? Yeah, is that what you would call she's, it? She's put away. <laughs> and um, what does this mean? Um, m- most people think that that meant death for her, right? And if not uh, death, uh, essentially death, economic cut off right social cutoff any type of access to i mean anything right yeah i i doubt there was any support for her it was it was just a malicious 
oh, you you want you want to stay where you are? All right. You will right. never be in my presence again. Right. Um, it's it's most likely death because we're dealing with Persia. So Right. Um, okay, so that's her that is her outcome essentially. She the the men in this court say she needs to be replaced. There's essentially this I don't even know what you would call it. Beauty pageant is the word I was always taught, but it's far more violent and let's not let's sexual and yeah let's not what what would you how would you describe what the audition process basically for what Esther is stepping into (laughs) let's let's use this as an opportunity to just change the language change the language let's do it because um I think that the glossing over of what happened next is just it is doing a disservice to history and what happened and also does it you know it does it does a disservice to people who are living through any kind of similar circumstances where they're being taken um against their will where they they are survivors of rape where they have been trafficked where absolutely people, people who are abuse and assault survivors let's let's speak it um really accurately the this was not this was not a democracy this was a monarchy and it was an absolute monarchy. And this man, we know there are 127 provinces. If he mm-hmm. took virgins from each one, if he took just one, that's right. 127 young girls who didn't know that they were about to be taken. This was not a volunteer. Right. Um consensual anything like that yeah the the even the terminology now um, i need to go back but i'm pretty sure and now we're in esther too yeah yeah um it just says let the king appoint commissioners to bring (laughs) to bring beautiful versions after after there's a search it doesn't it doesn't there's no volunteer. So a search. That's really? I think that's the word I was uh, looking for. Right, 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 right. Uh, it 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 speaks of the language like you hear about David taking, conquering, exactly, bringing. Exactly. Lachak is the word. Lachak mm-hmm. to take. That's that's the the kind of language that's used now. People, not you and me, Kelly. But, you know, there are people who are like, well, Bathsheba. You know, she was not you and me, Sharifa. <laughs> She was right. We're not, we're not entertaining that. Neither is the prophet Nathan. No, he's not. He's, he does not say that little lamb was asking for it. You know? So I, I feel confident that I am, I am in, um, on the side of accuracy Mm -hmm. because I'm, I'm, I'm standing on the same side as Nathan, the prophet. Absolutely. Um, Even David's son, is it Absalom and Tamar? David's son, the language that is used when he, I'm giving a trigger warning, by the way, at the beginning of this. I'm not, that's right. Um, That he takes his sister. He takes, it's taking and conquering. It's, um, it's objective, it's objectifying, dehumanizing um, language that, um, that I was reading, you know, I was seeing in the text in Esther too, as well, the search and then the taking. Um, but it's yeah. not a, it's not like a casting call, I guess is sort of what I was trying to, it's not a open yeah. call for volunteers. <laughs> Absolutely not. Right. Let me find some more pretty things. Right. That So it's very, very important that we, we get to be the ones to frame the language with mm. accuracy. And um, a lot, uh, you know, a lot of these interpretive choices and translation choices are made when there are no women in the room. There there are no women being consulted. There are no, and yeah. it's not like we don't have women scholars anymore or haven't. Um, Let me it, just insert a quick a note at, for checking your translation committees. When you buy a Bible or when you look at your translation, you are able to see who was on those translation committees. Please continue. Yes. And, and also, <laughs> don't don't buy the ESV. And <laughs> thank you. I'll just yeah, you can just say it more plainly. And I'm don't buy the ESV. Yeah, just don't buy it. Yeah. Um, please don't. So anyway, so in in chapter two, also, I want to make note that mm-hmm. as soon. 
as chapter two opens, we have a remorseful, the beginnings of remorse in Ahasuerus, Xerxes. Mm -hmm. And it is immediately squashed (laughs) by his his wise, quote unquote, men who are like, oh, oh, let me distract you with this. More pretty, more pretty things for you. Let, let's get a new queen yeah. and and our requirements for a new queen are that she's pretty and that she pleases you in bed because Oof. that's how low an opinion they had of a of a queen of a queen but definitely of women in general if a queen is the paragon of women then good gracious the bar was set in Hades mm. Oof. Whew. That audio is going to go on a reel and for Instagram, I'll tell you that. <laughs> that snippet just gave me chills. Whew. Um, so, okay. So that's her, that's her outcome. Right. And, and without getting into the reason I wanted to, you know, there's two women that we could consider and talk about in this story, Esther being the next yeah. one or Hadassah, but the, um, it's not that she's not worthy of consideration. It's just for, you know, for our time consideration here, her, her story is, has many more chapters to unpack it. And, and, um, and so Vashti being so disregarded. So this is the other outcome I was thinking. I was taught this story, like Vashti's the evil queen for being, for not being submissive to her husband. Um, And I think a lot of sort of Western white evangelicalism, and I I don't know about other, I didn't grow up in other traditions, but, um, but I imagine it's not just Western white evangelicalism who, who present her story as the antithesis to Esther, who is um, the righteous queen, you know, right. Who's, who's being, who's put in place by God and, and Vashti is dethroned by God and, and all these things. And, and so that's that's another outcome it's much later yeah. because it's our interpretation of what happened to her. But I was yeah. thinking about this, and maybe we'll sort of close with this part of the discussion. So because of the way that you you interpret it and you were talking about, like you said, as your experience as a Black American woman, and you had sort of re, um, related this to other parts of more contemporary American history, I, I had just been watching something and I was thinking about um, John Lewis and and them the the march to Montgomery right they start out on an, an Edmund Pe- or they get to the Edmund Pettus Bridge mm. and they're just violently beaten back right yeah. stopped and beaten back and that was attempt number one and then there's attempt number two they march again and they're stopped at the bridge with a court order and because they've chosen nonviolence they obey it mm-hmm. and then there's attempt number three and they make it to Montgomery right. And racial equality wasn't solved that day, but they made it that far. And then other people stood on their shoulders and other people stood on their shoulders. Mm-hmm. And and so I want to, something about Bashi's story that just because her outcome wasn't excellent. So now there's autonomy and agency for every woman in the kingdom. In fact, it got right. worse right then, <laughs> right. right? It got yes. worse immediately. But I look at, things like the Me Too and Church Too movement. I look at Time's Up. I look at the protests after um, a certain election and after Roe v. Wade was overturned. I look at, um, and that's just, I look at women's lib. I look at women's suffrage. The, the, uh, black women in this country that have led for so long. I, I look at those things and I almost say like, we're standing on her shoulders because every mm-hmm. no, even though it wasn't, um immediately successful. I don't think success can success can be determined from the immediate outcome, right? Because there's the arc of history is long. Right. And right. bends towards justice in the in the words of Dr. King. And so yeah. I, I guess we I want it. So. We good, good <laughs> Lord. Sometimes I, I look at that phrase and I'm like, okay, are you sure? What part That's of the arc are we on? <laughs> Are we it on that back wiggly. down slope? Yeah. Sorry to interrupt. No, I, I'm. Sh- I mean, that's that's exactly right, and I, I think it needs to be said. Um, <laughs> but it's 
to me, that just, it just sort of got me thinking about outcomes and how, if you, if you say no, if you assert your authority and your agency as a woman to something that is morally or, or for your physical safety or your mental and emotional spiritual safety, talking a lot about church harm and things like that. If you say no, and, and the outcome is fallout for whatever, in some way, that doesn't mean your no shouldn't have been asserted. Right. Would you say? Absolutely. Um, yeah, I just, I think that that's an especially important message for people who, for whom the system has always worked in their favor because everybody else already knows this. Right. Right. Um, (laughs) We know that our no is costly. We know that the only people who don't know that are people who have never had to say no before or for whom there were so many benefits that silence felt like a temptation, you know? Mm. Um, So absolutely. Uh, And and that's why, you know, I feel, I feel like it is necessary to talk about Vashti in um, the continuum of the entire book of Esther, because I feel like Vashti and Esther are, working towards um, a similar um, liberation idea. Mm. Uh, so, so if you, and if you will, then in dignity. Mm, that's good. So, th- so, th- so situate us then, if you will, maybe can kind of summarize how many more is like 16 more chapters. Um, <laughs> sorry about that. <laughs> no, I'm not doing it. <laughs> but, <laughs> But the rest of the story, how, how I guess, um, in a in a sus- sort of succinct way, we have a few more minutes. Would you okay. say bring Esther in to the fold here of this conversation? Okay, I guess I'll so just say Esther, that. Esther is um, the arbiter, the the conduit of the Lord's deliverance of the people, uh, the Jewish people who are living in Persia, mm. and she is the perfect the perfect conduit in um in a system that where where the last shall be first and the first shall be last she is um we are using her her passing name instead of her name padassa she is jewish mm. she is orphaned um she is young and she is a woman yeah. And she uh, and she is foreign. There is no reason um, that any hero in the ancient Near East would have that kind of description. Mm-hmm. But in a story of reversal, where where the men in power say women are just a pretty face and they should be obedient. Um, Esther is the young foreign orphan Jew who subverts that system Mm. for a system that preserves and protects her people. And that is, I mean, honestly, Kelly, the story of Vashti and Esther in the book of Esther have been stories of um, strength and encouragement for women for centuries. Yeah for centuries. Those voices may not have been listened to and they may not they may not have had the mic, but but consistently these these women have been heroes. Um yes. And a lot of times people people in our tradition um in our region, they don't they don't want to listen to non-Christian scholarship. So um, we miss out on the depth and richness of Jewish scholarship talking about Vashti and Esther to our own detriment. And really the silencing is both anti-Semitism and an attempt to consolidate and um, hoard power. That's what it comes down to. Uh. So the fact is like Vashti, Vashti took one tack and her tack was uh, no and absence. Um, and, uh, And Esther took a tack of, Okay, so I'm I'm trafficked into this situation, and for survival, I'm going to rework this system and risk my life being in the presence of the king. She yeah. was still risking her life in a system that said you can't just be in the presence of your husband, the king. That's right. If he doesn't extend his scepter, 
you you will die. You will be condemned to die. Yeah. So it's not like she was submissive to the law of the land. She defied it as well. Yeah. So I, I'm always like, I don't understand how how you're creating a false uh, contrast between Vashti's lack of subordination and Esther's willing submissiveness. No, they were both subversive. Both of them. Yes. Um, you just you just wanna you just wanna like Esther more. Yeah. And I don't know why. Because in this in the same rubric, you know, Vashti Vashti is a Rorschach test to just see what you believe. Do you believe that women should be seen and not heard? Do you believe that a woman should obey her husband even period? The 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 language of obedience should be applied to a wife. Um, and do you believe that a wife should listen to the directives of her husband when it will put her in danger and when it flies in the face of cultural mores? Like what, mm. why is that okay? Is it okay for men to degrade their wives in this, in this same rubric? Why are we covering that over? And why is it that there's limited intellectual, spiritual, biblical curiosity about some characters and the willingness to extrapolate things that aren't there for other characters that are in the Bible? There are Mm. all of these questions that I'm just like, I just need us, I just need us to be a little bit more curious about what's going on in the text before we we create these these dangerous contrasts that are basically implying that yes a woman's worth is in her pretty face her submissiveness and her sexually satisfying her man well is that is that what the, how the story ended in the book mm-hmm. esther is that mm. what is that what we see when mm. she's saying when esther is saying if I perish, I perish. Having seen the pre, what happened to the previous queen, right. are we supposed to 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 think? Oh, look! Look at that! Look at that pretty face. I wonder why she's saying that. Are we missing the fasting? Are mm. we are we missing the the strategy? Are we missing the growth in Hadassah when she goes from saying Mordecai, what do I do? To Mordecai, this is what has to happen next. Are we missing all of this? What is this lack of intellectual curiosity in just looking, just look a plain, a plain view of the text is, yeah. is telling you who, what God values. Yeah. And it's not, it's, why is it for David, you know, God looks at the heart, not the outward appearance, but then for Esther it's something different. What's going on, people of God? You know what I, I'm saying? I'm about so, to take off running around my living room. <laughs> to just get my Lion of Judah flag out and just, yes. Look, Ooh. look, it's, Jesus is better. 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 And so I have to say that Jesus is better because I love Jesus. Yes. One of the things that I love about Jesus is that there is no way I'm looking at the rest of the Bible without without referencing Jesus. Like Jesus, what you think? Right. Jesus, is this is this something you would do? Jesus. Is this how you would act towards women? Could you? I can't even fix my mouth to think that Jesus would treat a woman like Xerxes. And if Jesus wouldn't treat a woman like Xerxes does, then why are we holding him up? as a prize to be won, as someone worth beautifying my... Why are we doing this? Ooh, as a prize to be won. Like Esther won a lottery. Like she lucked out. (laughs) Do we not... Have we not seen... This man doesn't know how to make a decision by himself and he's the king of the Medes and the Persians? Have we not seen that he gets (laughs) so drunk that he puts away his wife... Okay, have we not seen that this man doesn't have enough discernment to make a law when he's sober? Have we not seen that he's like, he's the same man who's like, you know what? Yeah, let's pick a day to kill all the Jews. 
We're holding this man up? I just had to check my pulse. <laughs> I'm just, why are we holding this man up? And if why? you, if, if you're coming to the text thinking, this is how husbands and wives should interact, then something is so wrong with you. Xerxes is yeah. not your model. Yeah. Jesus Miss is your me model. with your biblical womanhood and biblical manhood from this story. From this, from this story? <laughs> this is, this is, this is Genesis 3. Yeah. Ooh. This is Genesis 3. This is the fall with no hope for redemption, mm. but God, right? So yes. Yes. Miss, miss me with that. If you, if you aspire to be Xerxes, you're something, but you are not Christian. I'm sorry. Whew. Aspire to be like Christ. Whether you're single, you're married, you're divorced, you're widowed. Look, aspire to be like Christ. That's right. Not Xerxes. That's right. Not Vashti. Not Esther. You know what I'm saying? But if you're going to pick one, don't pick Xerxes, is what I'm saying. (laughs) What I love is, this is the whole book of the Bible, essentially of God's providence on display, working through not one, but two women to defy an immoral and powerful man. Oops, did God forget women were supposed to be submissive? I don't think he did. Didn't forget, or maybe there just weren't enough righteous men. Oh no, but there's Mordecai right there. There he is. What? There he is. So we can't say that. You mean he? God is using women, even though there are men right there. Uh oh. I oh, I always no. think about this with Deborah because I was raised. Uh, this is another conversation, but I was raised with the you know Deborah became a judge because. There was an indictment against all the rest of the men. There was no righteous men. Like poor God was out of resources. God was out of resources. Oh no. Imagine saying that, number one. And number two, yes, I was raised the same way, which yeah. is why I'm that's why I brought up the argument. Yes. Okay, but Mordecai was right there. Right. He was he was right there. That's right. And Mordecai was also used of God. Yes. He was. Yeah. And it's it's not called the book of Mordecai. <laughs> so <laughs> Here's here's the thing, and I'm I'm okay with it. So yeah, there there's just there's just more in store for women than than what some of us have learned, and yeah. what some of us have inherited, and and what some of us refuse to scrutinize from that inheritance. It doesn't yes. have to be what you can. It doesn't have to be what you carry. You can lay it down. I think you like that if you have if you have heard anything else in our conversation, I hope what you have just heard from Sharifa, let it be your invitation to lay down your previous understandings of this story, of God's relationship with women, of God's view of women, God's design for women, however you want to say that, uh, of women's uh, role in society, in the home, in families, in in from India to Kush. Mm. Mm. Um Yes. Get get curious. Just stay curious. Okay. So that was my conversation with the wonderful and wise Sharifa Stevens. As you heard at the beginning of this episode and every episode, my goal with the show is to make space for, to honor, and to name what matters. So why does Queen Vashti and why does uh, the power of a woman's no matter to me? Why does it matter to us or for us? With the demise of Queen Vashti following her exercising agency over her body and her decisions, we might be tempted to say she failed in her objective or that her efforts weren't worth it. But sometimes, even when it's not an immediate victory, our resistance and our defiance and our work toward justice paves the way for someone else, either days later or generations later. Someone else might be able to stand on the shoulders of those who came before them and be strengthened by their successes and their suffering. I see Vashti's no still echoing out today as women find our resurgence of collectively raising our voices, saying no to those in power over our bodies, our futures, careers, reputations, finances, security, and more. 
in not submitting to her drunk and immoral husband, in listening to the knowing inside her that told her to refuse for whatever reason. Um, and I believe that that knowing is, in, is one and the same with God's providence. Vashti, in a sense, mothers a movement still going on today. My thanks again to Sharifa Stevens for joining me today. I just adore her. You can find her on Twitter and Instagram at Sharifa Writes or on her website at sharifastevens.com. I will link to these and to her Substack and to the book she contributed to uh, on Vashti in the show notes. So make sure you check all of that out and follow her if you don't already. If you have thoughts or feedback about this episode, please share them. You can find the show on Instagram at Let It Matter Podcast, on Twitter at Let It Matter Pod, or there's a contact page on LetItMatterPodcast.com as well. And I'll get your, your comments. I love to engage with you guys about what we're talking about here. Um, don't forget to subscribe or follow the show wherever you get your podcasts. Join me next week for an amazing conversation I had with therapist and author KJ Ramsey. You won't want to miss that either. As we close out, let me pray this benediction that I wrote um, just the other day after having this conversation with Sharifa. I wrote this and I want to pray it over you now. May you never consider the immediate outcomes of your bravery, boldness, and agency to be the final word. In what feels like failure, may you never slump over, but instead may you stand up straighter so the ones who stand on your shoulders can reach higher. In what looks like success, may you never forget to reach backward to the ones still coming behind you and pull them up too. In what looks like inertia or ineffectiveness, may you remember the unseen hand of God's providence at work. May you walk in the truth that you may well have been put right where you are for such a time as this, and may you also unburden yourself from the pressure of doing it all alone. For God may be at work in and through you, but it is God at work. Amen. <laughs>